We're here together on episode 144. There is absolutely no disagreement from anyone when you say lockdown life is a horrible experience because it really is. And it's having significant mental health impacts on all of us. And just saying we're in it together doesn't really provide much utility to actually getting through what's going on in our world right now. On today's episode, I want to provide you with some real, tangible things that you can change to make lockdown a better experience and simply be able to cope better. And to be totally honest, these tips are good for anyone going through a traumatic or significantly stressful time. So if you're in Australia or anywhere in the world being locked up by tyrannical governments and you're struggling to get through it, then this episode is going to be useful for you. And so without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Glad to have you here in these crazy times, and despite how crazy it might be, It's still my mission, even more so than before, to coach 250 men and women to lose weight and be their healthiest self before the end of December 2021. So, how you doing? Are you okay? These are genuinely some really, really hard times that we're going through here in Australia and around the world. The interesting thing with pain and suffering, especially the likes of what we're experiencing right now, is that it's all consuming in every possible way. And so we can often feel like ours is the worst. Our situation is the worst and anybody in any other situation in the world is having their own experience and they think their experience is worse than everybody else's. And it's because it's all relative, right? It's all happening within our own paradigm of reality. Wherever it is, people often feel like their experience is worse than everyone else's. However, I'm actually not here to tell you, but what about the people in Lebanon? Or what about the women in Afghanistan? Or what about insert problem that you cannot fix? Because when you minimize or diminish your own experience for what is happening, you subtract from that space permission, permission to feel the way you feel. And what people often do is in replacement of that permission, they find shame, an emotion that exacerbates all problems. Physical, emotional, spiritual, shame. It comes back to shame for people because they're made to feel like they're not worthy of their emotions or expressing them is not okay or whatever it might be that leads to feeling embarrassed or shameful about having an experience. This is why when it comes to food and nutrition, we work so hard on learning to give ourselves permission to eat the chocolate or eat the pizza or even permission to decline an offer for a wine or say no to dessert in the face of judgment. Because In the space of wholesome self-permission, you create a space for self-expression. And that expression is important to get out of your physical biology. You need to express things out of your body. You need to download them per se. If we hold it in there, it translates to higher stress, higher cortisol, higher muscle tension, increased blood pressure, maybe more headaches, maybe rumination that leads to depression or anxiety. And for many people, and maybe you, in the absence of expression and letting go, The distraction, soothing, or processing of these emotions comes through the consumption of food. And in the work that I do, this is one of the most important steps that we take in the beginning is uncovering why we do things, why we do what we do, and how food becomes, for many people, an unhelpful solution to soothe or cover up or protect or hide, whatever it might be. It usually comes back to 
avoiding that shame that I mentioned. So it's really important to acknowledge that other experiences are really shitty around the world. Afghanistan sucks. Lebanon sucks. Africa sucks. Like everybody's situation is shit right now. There's no doubt about it. Of course, these things are horrific. Okay. But guess what? You're in lockdown here or wherever you are in the world. And that sucks too. And you're allowed to have a really, really tough time. But unless you can contribute to the solutions of other people, it is not your responsibility to take on the guilt of other people's situations. Sure, you can be sensitive to it. Sure, you can be empathetic. There's no doubt about that. But unless you can contribute to their solution, then it is irresponsible to your own self to take on the emotional burden of someone else's problem. Carrying guilt for feeling your own feelings because, well, it could be worse, I'm not in XYZ country and totally neglecting your own feelings in any given moment, that is not the situation we want to set ourselves up for. But it's often how we've been taught our whole life, especially in Australia. She'll be right, mate. Get on with it. Oh, you could, it could be worse, you know, and Australians typically talk in, in language like that, right? How are you? Not bad. Like, (laughs) not this, not far, not long. You know, we're not clear. We're not creating a space of honesty for ourselves. And this is much the case around the world, whether that be the, you know, language or not. Acknowledging that you are having an experience is incredibly important to working through and getting over that experience. And so the truth right now may be that your situation really is shit and feeling that way is totally okay. Don't compare it to Julie with five kids and an abusive husband. Don't compare it to Bill who lost his small business that, who, you know, that he was running for over 35 years. Acknowledge that, yes, they're both terrible things, but they're not your challenge. They're not your burden to carry. You have to create a space for your own negative feelings to be witnessed, released, and let go of using permission in replacement of shame. Your experience is not shameful. You're a human, and we're all going through our own variation of hell right now. As part of assisting you to create space for yourself, your partner, your family, your friends, I want to share with you five to-dos, five strategies that can help you cope in this horrendous lockdown scenario that we're in that potentially shows no end, (laughs) depending on how you look at the situation and what you take on board each and every day. So some of these strategies have been birthed from my own personal struggles during the last 18 months. Uh, Some of them are age-old tools that I learned long ago and now encourage my clients to implement because shitty times were a thing even before 2020, right? (laughs) So managing this space has always been an important thing for all of us and increasingly so as we become worn out, tired, depressed and the most challenging emotion of all, I think, is getting to a place that doesn't allow us to fight for our freedom and and try and get life back. And that feeling is a place of hopelessness. So we want to try and combat the situation so we don't emotionally deplete ourselves or run ourselves into the ground. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to bang on the positivity drum and say, feel positive because the positive psychology movement is an amazing concept and helps in different situations. But like everything, like when people take the Bible too literally, it becomes toxic really fast. And the same with positive psychology. If you add it into all situations, all emotional equations, you oppress and deny the truth of your negative feelings. And you can even enter a state of denial, none of which are helpful. None of these feelings or situations are helpful to expressing and releasing and working through these things. It might be worth mentioning here too that One way that traumatic experiences can be created, I personally think that knowing the ingredients for a recipe 
or what's in the food or on the shelf of the supermarket allows you to mentally prepare for the outcomes. And it's the same with traumatic experiences. Whether it's deciding that you really want to eat the garlic bread despite the gluten pain that you're going to experience or that you really want to eat the cheese despite your inflammatory reaction that you know is going to happen or going to visit your mother knowing that the normal routine where everyone cycles through that you find triggering and painful... It's the same with all things in life. If you know the ingredients of the situation, you can better prepare. And in many instances, manage yourself through that exact experience, which will inevitably reduce or even eliminate the traumatic effect it has on your body and your personality and your soul and your spirituality. And so if it does actually happen, any of these things, you know the second it's over, you're equipped and ready to begin the process of working through it. Unlike those things that happened years ago that are still causing us pain, with this vision, you will have the ability to not delay in moving through this stuff, working through it as fast as possible. So the other thing too to acknowledge is just being clear so that we can get the ingredients of this traumatic experience that we're experiencing now, just to to get clear on them. So one way that trauma can be created, and this is a really simple way to look at it, but I think it it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I want you to imagine you're on, on a roof of a house. There's no way down, there's no ladder other than to jump down to the ground. There's someone down there yelling your name and maybe you even know them and maybe it's even somebody you love um, or it's somebody that you look up to and you look down and they're encouraging you to jump because you need to get back to the safety of having your feet on the ground and staying on top of this house forever, well, that's not a very productive life, right? So the scariest bit is actually making the jump occur, launching yourself off into the free fall that is vulnerability, the free fall of the unknown, the vulnerability of the unknown. Before you jump, it isn't that scary because you do have the choice to not listen to the person down there and stay right where you are because becoming vulnerable by jumping and risking breaking your neck and losing everything is too confronting. So you're like, nope, I don't trust that this is going to work out. I don't trust the person at the bottom, so I'm going to stay here. So that's one option. And before you jump, you do have control. So you're a little bit of security there. But let's say you listen to the person down there because you look up to them or you love them or trust them or whatever it might be. And that the person down there says that they're going to catch you. So suddenly, the vulnerability of risking breaking your neck becomes less because you're being told by this person that they'll do their best to break your fall and catch you and let you land on the ground nice and softly and you'll have your feet back down there and everything will be good. So once you have enough trust in this person down below, you essentially decide that the vulnerability risk is worth it because there's security from this person down below and it's all going to be okay. And in fact, life will be better on the other side of this vulnerability risk, right? So you'll be free. You'll have worked through something. You'll have gone through the vulnerability and been saved, so to speak. So you make the decision and you jump. And when you hit the deck down below, that person is nowhere to be found. That person let you down after encouraging you to be vulnerable. This is trauma. That is how trauma is created. At least one way. There's lots of ways, but that's one way. Trauma is not the being vulnerable. It's not the choice to step off the ledge. It's not the free fall. It's the really hard, fast, brutal stop at the bottom. And I want you to understand this because the trauma we're experiencing right now in this world, in this, with our Victorian government, with our Australian government, with the pharmaceutical companies of the world, we're experiencing that happening right now. It's happening. Real trauma is occurring because they're asking us to trust them 
at a time that we're most vulnerable and susceptible to very painful experiences. And they're persistently saying jump and being the person that walks away. So we jump because we feel we have no choice and they do not catch us. And so this is what's happening. And so your trauma is real. Your pain is real. The stuff you're experiencing right now is real. And yes, it may get way worse. We may go into some serious communist fascist tyranny. Like it looks like it's going to head that way, but it doesn't change what's going on now. And the sooner that you acknowledge the ingredients or the parts of the trauma that are occurring right now, the sooner you can work through them and even get to a point that you're equipped to make the jump from the ledge by yourself and make sure that you land on your own feet without the necessity of having somebody like our terrible lying leaders claiming that they're going to catch you. Is this starting to make sense? It's not the jump that's the trauma. It's the stop at the bottom, assuming that the person at the bottom did or didn't fail you. If they didn't, when someone that you trust encourages you to enter a vulnerable space and they let you down, trauma's created. But if somebody encourages you to enter that space and they catch you and you're okay, the opposite is true. That's healing. That's emotional healing. Trust is increased. Happiness is often increased. Trauma is often healed. And even relationships and societies as a whole can start strengthening their bonds together, right? So trusting your fellow man is a really important piece of the puzzle. And that goes for all of us, but we also have to be trustworthy for our fellow man. And so in this time of what we're experiencing right now, this is really important because we're being let down. Our leaders are not catching us. So it's really important to acknowledge what you're experiencing is real. It's happening. You are being let down. You are allowed to feel the way you feel. Create this space. So I want you to understand these ingredients of the trauma we're experiencing right now because every time you watch anything news related, you'll start to see and be able to identify the parts of the analogy that I've just shared with you. You being on the roof, the leader promising you the thing or hoping or convincing you to believe something which is them down on the ground saying, trust me, then you jumping off the roof because they've said, trust me, and then them changing what they said or what they're doing, aka walking away from the position where they might have caught you and you reacting with anger, sadness, depression, trauma, which is you hitting the ground. The difference is we want to rely on people that are actually trustworthy in our loved ones, in our friends, in our family, in our fellow Australians, and our fellow freedom fighters across the globe. All right, I'm hoping that you are, you're wrapping your head around this and you're like, oh, now I totally get trauma. <laughs> this is obviously a super simplified version of it, but it's what's happening repeatedly on a daily basis in our world right now. So now that we have some of the componentry down, we can see what's going on, which is a, the only place to start when you're trying to fix any type of pain. You need to know what's going on and before you can fix it. You can't fix the car if you don't know what's wrong with it. So I want to give you five tangible things that you can do in your life to make some adjustments to make everything just a little bit easier right now in these in this medical and pharmaceutical fascism, all right? So we're going to bust through five of these, which are super helpful, and you can implement them today, all right? Here we go. Number one, take regular breaks and exercise boundaries. It's so easy for life to turn into just staring at a screen for hours a day, hours and hours and hours a day, and just bouncing between screens. So it's like work is at the laptop, or relaxation is at the TV, or friends is at your phone. And so we're just perpetually 
as exposing our eyes to screen after screen after screen after screen. Do you remember when we were younger and our parents used to tell us that watching too much TV would give us square eyes? <laughs> I totally remember my mum and my nan telling me that. And well, you know, guess what? It hasn't changed. Staring at screens all day is still not a great idea and it's giving you square eyes and it's turning you into a zombie that's stuck in this state of consumption, which is of massive utility to the powers that be. Think about that. When you're stuck in a state of consumption, you can be fed information unconsciously. Super useful to anybody that might want to get you to behave in a particular way. Anyway, point is though that it's damaging to your mental, emotional and physical health. You want to break up the monotony as much as possible. You want to break up the monotony as much as possible because life is stupidly boring right now and I can tell you I'm with you on that. And yes, I too, I'm grateful for running water and the fact that I can order food to my house and my apartment's amazing. But guess what? I don't care. I'm sick of this shit right now. (laughs) And I'm guessing you are too. Sometimes gratitude just doesn't cut it. Gratitude's super important and we should practice it every day, but sometimes it doesn't cut it. And defaulting to gratitude goes back to ignoring and not creating a space for what's negative, right? It's the sort of the catch-22 of positive psychology is that when people say, yeah, but be grateful, be grateful. Again, you're ignoring and denying the truth about your negative emotions and they need a space to be expressed, right? So in taking those regular breaks, uh, boundaries are really important. So deciding when your breaks are and when they're not is also useful as it creates a dynamic shift between states of working and not working, of being on and being off. So we don't want to blur the lines too much. We want to have healthy spaces that we can move in between because we need that dynamic in our day. Humans need variety. And that's often one reason that people eat all sorts of different foods and order different foods removed that aren't really helpful because humans need variety, right? And they get bored with the same job and the same everything and the same this, but they get their variety from their diet. And so we've got to be careful that we don't slip into the monotony. We have to develop these boundaries to emphasize variety in our day. It's a core human need, variety, okay? So if I ever have a physical office with my own team, for example, it will absolutely be a rule that breaks can never be taken at the desk. Go and do something else. And this is for you too. Go and do something else in your space, even if you don't have much of it. No more computing. (laughs) Do some yoga, a walk, breath work, seeing a friend, coffee run, hell, even a tequila run at this stage. (laughs) I know it feels like there's no point to having breaks because... What am I going to do anyway? What else is there? What's the point to life? And I 100%, I totally get that. But the catch is, and I can speak from personal experience, is that without that dynamic and without breaking things up, although it feels at the time like there isn't much point and there's not much else to do, providing that dynamic change, what it does is allows us to prevent burnout. And we're all running pretty close to empty on this emotional burnout train. And you could argue... You could argue with the way our government has been and what they're doing. You could argue that they're actually strategically wearing us down to the point of compliance. Maybe that's one of their goals. I don't know. But maybe they're doing that until we're so apathetic that we give in to whatever ridiculous shit that they're serving up on that particular day. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. 
And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. So to retain just some emotional sanity and control and delay or prevent burnout, I want you to take regular breaks and draw the line in the sand when break time begins and when break time ends. And no breaks on your device, especially the ones that you use for work, okay? So that's number one. Number two, now this is nice. Number two is reduce your to-do list. So it's so easy to get overwhelmed right now. Like I said earlier, life has already, you know, been up shit creek for most people even before 2020 and now it's absolutely tenfold. So although you might want to get all of the things done and tick all of the boxes and learn five new hobbies in lockdown that you've always wanted to learn and focus on coming out of lockdown with a new skill, it might not be the best strategy for happiness and mental health. And maybe even happiness is the wrong word. It might not be the best strategy for literally surviving this chapter with your sanity intact. So I think going the other way is more helpful. Create space and reduce the pressure and reduce your to-do list to one, two or three things that need to happen that day. Normally, we'd predict the time and put 10 things on the list and think, oh yeah, that should be doable in that amount of time. And it likely is an accurate reading on a normal day in a normal world. But right now you're in a situation where accidentally being sent a link from a truth-seeking friend or turning on YouTube to see the premiere announce some more ridiculous crap can totally derail you for multiple days and send you into a tailspin. So reduce your to-do list. Uh, And important to acknowledge, this is a slippery slope though because there's Parkinson's law. Parkinson's law is that a task will expand the amount of time that it is given. So if you have one thing on your to-do list and you've got eight hours to do it, it'll probably take eight hours. So you've got to be careful to self-regulate in this. Yes, reduce your to-do list so you're not in overwhelm, but also don't take advantage of yourself by doing one thing that takes an hour over eight hours. We're all guilty of that, but it's that's just a self-monitoring thing. So reduce your to-do list and then If there's time left over at the end of the day, you can either have more breaks, which is going to be great for your mental health, or you can get some extra things done, which is going to make you feel great as well. Number three, delete your social media apps. Oh, Maddie, but how will I be connected to all the important updates about all of the things? This was genuinely my reaction to being suggested that by a loved one, that I should delete my social media apps and that I might be addicted to my social media apps. For me, it brought on massive anxiety and I got super defensive about it. And you might too, initially. You might think, Maddie, that's a ridiculous suggestion. I'm not going to do that. I don't mean permanently forever, but I would recommend making it a regular thing. Start with once a week and build up to doing it each day. I'm at the point personally where I delete all of my social media apps every day and I haven't had Facebook app on my phone in several months. I haven't had WhatsApp on my phone in over a year and it is so freeing once I got used to it. 
That's the important bit once I got used to it, okay? The reason why it feels so confronting in the beginning and really challenging and difficult to delete apps from your phone, and when you kind of say that a few times to yourself out loud, it seems pretty ridiculous that apps on your phone are controlling your emotional and well-being, you know, your emotional state and your well-being. It's kind of crazy that these apps have this control over you. And when you realize that, maybe you'll take back control and delete these apps, right? But there is a reason. Humans are driven by a desire for dopamine. Dopamine is the happy hormone that gets a hit in the brain when you hang with friends, family, kiss or have sexual interaction with someone, win on PlayStation, get a three-pointer in when you shoot in some basketball and the tech giants of the world have strategically designed social media apps with millions of dollars on research going into how to hijack your dopamine pathways in your brain. That's why uh, you likely find yourself sometimes scrolling or bouncing around between the apps and, and then catch yourself and like, I'm not even reading anything here. I don't even want to be on Instagram right now. You might even get a little grumpy and kind of throw your phone away. You're like, what is happening? <laughs> Maybe you've experienced that. And it's simply because you're dopamine addicted. It's a legit thing. You are dopamine addicted. And quick side note, this is actually how porn works as well. It hijacks your dopamine pathways and gives you an unnaturally persistent and consistent hit of dopamine, which obviously does not happen that frequently in a normal sexual interaction. So it's hijacking you. This is why people that are addicted to porn are one, addicted, but two, are unsatisfied with sex in the real world because it's not real. (laughs) Uh, But the point is, these things are designed to hack your dopamine centers. So because dopamine makes us feel great, it's kind of like a drug, literally. It's a drug or it's a hormone in our own body and we are addicted to it and we're always seeking more, more, more. So... Because there is so much triggering chaos on social media apps right now, and to be fair, there's always been triggering crazy stuff on social media and journalism and all of those kinds of things. And so for that reason, I'd encourage you to start deleting the apps from your phone and truly disconnecting. This will feel weird at first. It'll feel empty. You'll feel lonely. I can guarantee these feelings are going to happen because you previously were attached to that phone and those apps in a way that you felt connected, but it's a false sense of connection. You've got to remember these digital app, that world isn't real. <laughs> it's not in intangible reality. And it's, it's, a, it's a crazy thing to actually sit down and think about that. It's like, whoa, okay, these apps are, are not real places. You can't actually go there. <laughs> it's insane to think about it. But the reason you have these feelings as well is because you're taking away a source of dopamine. It's important to have awareness about that because you should find an alternative dopamine source. However, that's also like saying to a drug addict, when you take away the heroin, you better find a suitable drug that will fill the gap. That's not what I'm saying, right? What I mean by suitable dopamine source is to find something real, whether it's connecting with your partner or sex or whether it's going for a run or whether it's slightly delayed dopamine. That's what you want. You want to have to work for your dopamine. You want to retrain yourself out of the addiction by doing tasks and things that require effort and work to produce dopamine, whether it be shooting hoops. I personally love shooting hoops. I'm terrible at it. But when I, you know, every 10 shots that I might get in because I'm terrible, it was so worth it, that one that I got in. And I'm slowly getting better, all right? All right. I'm no MJ, (laughs) but it's happening. It's happening. So the point is to find a healthy uh, supplement, so to speak, uh, that will help you experience that. Now, don't go like it, like fad dieting. Don't go all the way to the other end. Don't, you know, do a dopamine fast, which is a real thing but you'll bounce back super hard. You're addicted to this thing in your body, just like people are addicted to sugar and going full to the wall, unless you're committing to that for your life and you know you can do it, which is unlikely, start small. 
start small. And so the reason for this is because there are a multitude of benefits to disconnecting from social media in this time of endless exposure between fear, uncertainty and danger and then unrealistic marketing about how amazing life could be if you sign up for this program or you know do this ab workout or doing all of these things. And so we've kind of been trapped on social media in this 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 polarity of information. On one end of the spectrum, it's all doom and gloom. And on the other end of the spectrum, it's all this amazingness that you wish you had. And so it's like this odd polarity that we're bouncing between with this advertising and marketing and posting. It's these extremes on either end that don't reflect reality but pull on our heartstrings. It's kind of like, in a sense, social media has jumper leads on your consciousness and they're pulling you positive, negative, positive, negative, but in a way that actually is not truly fulfilling or sustained because Social media is not real. <laughs> it's not the real world. The matrix is not real. It's only as real as you make it in your own perspective on reality. So, getting a bit philosophical there, but delete your apps from your phone once a week and progress to daily and then you'll end up at a place maybe where I am or even further, which is I'll go three or four or five days and realize, oh, I haven't opened Instagram on my phone. It's been a good week. <laughs> and for me, the only reason that I um, download Instagram now is to post stuff about the podcast and about clients and stuff like that and keep the business ticking over. But as soon as I'm done, delete, gone. Uh, and it's so good. I guarantee it feels so good. So that's number three. Number four, this is really important. Four, announce no COVID convo days and times. In a somewhat similar way to the dopamine thing, we can equally hardwire our nervous system to be addicted to stress, fear, doubt, and uncertainty. And this is how many people run their lives and have for a long time. And you can even identify some of these people. Think of the friends that are addicted to drama cycles or are addicted to reality TV. Their nervous system feels at home when chaos is happening. And in the absence of that kind of chaos, they may even created in their own lives perpetually with friends or they're always getting new friends because they fall out with everyone or they've always got a problem with authority. Uh, these types of people, they're, they're hard, their systems are hardwired for chaos. Um, and, and for men particularly, this, a lot of this chaos happens in their own heads. They don't talk about it. They don't actually speak about it. And I say that as a man, I'm sure it's the same for many women too. Um, but a lot of that chaos and stress on the outside they seem chill. And the amount of times I've heard people say, yeah, I don't experience stress. And it's like, in between your ears you do though. <laughs> in that paradigm of your own reality, it's a, it's a chaotic environment in there. So the thing is that this can happen to us even without really knowing. Hence why the step three of deleting social media is such an important step. There's so much going on. There's so much constant exposure to this stuff. And it's super taxing to our nervous system and our energy and our, our happiness and, and all of the things. And so many people that I've have lived stressful lives for many years and most people I meet say they're not people that stress much but it's usually because they haven't experienced true relaxation in a long time they don't actually have an accurate reference point to know that they are stressed because they're always stressed and they've never been relaxed (laughs) basically if we live in this world we are exposed to stress especially right now so it's not about stressing less or trying to live a stress-free life it's learning how to manage it and get through it so with the people in your world right now I encourage you to have COVID-free space and time where you draw a hard boundary and say no more of that talk at all today. Or even when you catch up with a friend and you're like, let's just not talk about that at all. It doesn't matter if you disagree or agree or whatever it is. It's about disconnecting from the chaos of the world, right? And it's everywhere. And so saying no more of that talk all day 
can be really, really challenging to, to say because you're drawing a boundary and you can't even have a cheeky or funny safe word. So if someone brings it up, you can say kamikaze or Yahtzee or pineapple <laughs> and hopefully you'll both laugh and then move back into the COVID-free space. So if someone starts talking about it, go to your safe word that's kind of cheeky and funny and whatever it is so you can take the negative energy or the intensity out of the moment and everybody can kind of laugh and just move on. Even create entire days of no toxic bullshit from the world. When friends message or text politely say, hey, just want to let you know, got your message, but I'm currently taking a break from this stuff at the minute to give myself some mental space or whatever the, you know the reason is for you. You don't have to really justify yourself for taking a break. That's okay. And I'll get back to you tomorrow. That's all you've got to do um, or, or the next day or I'll get back to you when I can, what, whatever feels right for you. So it's really important to have these spaces that are clear of this. And by the way, that includes not watching news, not watching presses, not you know going looking for the information on social media. I mean, getting it out of your space completely. And as I mentioned towards the beginning, draw a boundary and create some space for yourself to express, feel and download whatever is going on for you. And then get back to it when you're rejuvenated and revitalized and you're feeling good again. You're back in control, right? So that's number four. Number five. Well, we couldn't do a list without talking about some delicious healthy food. So stock up on good healthy food and snacks. It's an insane idea to think that there isn't going to be some snackage going on and some unideal mood food, right? Or some spontaneous meals or hell, even some random day drinking. We're going through some weird times and, you know, it's probably going to even get weirder. Now, I'm of course not encouraging day drinking (laughs) or smashing all sorts of unideal food. But what I am suggesting is to put a few shortcuts to healthy food options in place by attempting to put the unideal food choices further out than the healthy ones. You want unhealthy to be harder work than the healthy options. The aim here is to set up circumstances that do two things. Make you think about what is happening right now in the moment. Maybe your reaction, maybe you're looking for food to soothe. And second, give you control of the decision to go ahead. Filling the fridge full of fruits, vegetables, meats, and delicious whole real food goodness means it is more likely that you're going to eat those things. You could even order an organic fruit and veg box delivered on a weekly, fortnightly, or monthly cycle that automates that process for you so you don't even have to think about it. The healthy times are coming to you on autopilot. (laughs) You don't even have to think about them. You can also use this system to jack up the health in your meals by 50%. For instance, instead of crackers and dip, you can have veggies and dip. Similar experience, similar crunch, but healthier. If these options are around, they'll eventually end up on your plate. So mixing the fun with the healthy is also an option too. And by the way, crackers are not healthy. (laughs) This is kind of a myth I'm busting right now. People often give crackers and plain biscuits or bread to sick people because it's plain and there's some kind of belief that's been manifested that plain or lacking sugary flavors is healthy. And that is definitely not true. (laughs) If I was sick and somebody was trying to give me food, I would not want them to give me crackers, plain biscuits, or bread. Terrible things to put into an inflamed gut if you're unwell. The healthiest food is usually flavor-rich and is provided that way to us by the health, our healthy soils. Right now, healthy planet. Whole nother regenerative farming conversation to go on there. But another day, guys. Another day. So... 
Ensure the fridge and the pantry is full of all the healthy stuff. Watching out for some of those marketing and advertising lies that happen in your health food aisle. Um, you know, that's really common. Branding's a super powerful thing and a lot of those healthy chocolate bars or healthy protein bars are really just mutton dressed as lamb. Uh, and so I want you to have some staples on your weekly shopping list as well that just end up in your fridge because if they're there, they'll eventually end up on your plate. Even better is that you make a conscious decision for them to end up on your plate. It's also important to mention that putting these foods into your life will make your mental health and stress situation a lot better because you'll be providing your body with the amino acids and micronutrients that support the building of neurotransmitters and hormones which contribute directly to the rigidity, stability and management of your emotional state. Remember, emotions aren't this esoteric thing. They're real molecules that are happening in your body. Eating healthy is not just about losing weight. There really is so much more, and especially in a time like this when we're perpetually stressed, perpetually scared, perpetually in FUD, fear, uncertainty, and danger. So build your resilience through your healthy diet. And so there we have it. There we have it. Five strategies to help you cope with lockdown. These, of course, aren't going to be home runs. They're not going to be hitting you for six, but they will bump the needle in the right direction. And who knows? Who knows? It might be the nudge that pushes you into the right direction and gives you some helpful, positive momentum towards something really great. So that's a wrap. Thanks for hanging out with me on another episode. If you enjoyed this particular one or you think a friend or family member could benefit from hearing this stuff, please share it with them as well as sharing a screenshot onto social media that really helps grow this little show into something even greater. Plus, it lets me know who is listening and who you are. And I like to know who's listening. So... Thank you for being here. I hope you got something out of it. Look forward to seeing your shares on social media. Be sure to tag me. Uh, You know, the deal, rate, review, all of the things. So I will see you on the next episode. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.